This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. Joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the jet lag voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, thanks for keeping the streets of Starkville safe last week when I was in Cooperstown. Love the conversation with Melanie Newman. She is great. Yeah, that was a thrill. That was a thrill. And I, I had the fortune of calling a game with her uh, from a remote, and uh, we had a, we had a blast. So it was great to get her on. And you know, you know, you think about baseball and family. You think about fathers and sons and daughters and sisters and. And in my case, my brother was probably the the key entry to baseball. So, so that that was cool. And as you know, I'm coming in from San Francisco this morning. So I left at uh, I guess the equivalent of one thirty in the morning Eastern. <laughs> so uh, I don't know where I am right now, but you know, it's all good. Yeah. It was uh, I got to see Carlos Rodon, and uh, that was cool. Given that we're talking trade deadline a lot today, and and I always say I want to say Rodon all the time because it's Spanish. I always think of the accent over the o and go and being in puerto rico but i know it's rodan so i have to work on that because i always mess it up (laughs) (laughs) hey so so what time did the plane land uh it landed well i had to connect through atlanta so that was like 6 15 in the morning and then it it landed in connecticut somewhere (laughs) close to nine i don't know somewhere in there Actually, after the connect, yeah, it was uh, it's delirium, delirium for sure. And the Atlanta flight was like yeah. minus thirty five degrees in there. Like I'm like, what are they doing on this plane? Like they're like hanging meat in here, or it's a locker. Hey, I'm just glad to know the Starkville Airport was open at that hour. Very, very oh. important to try to keep the Starkville uh, services running smoothly. Always open, always. Oh, okay, all right. Um, since I touched on Cooperstown, I just wanted to mention uh, it was so special to be there last weekend uh, to see our friend Tim Kirkshen enter the writer's wing of the hall. Uh, if you take a close look at our Zoom feed, you'll see I have my Team Tim t-shirt I'm wearing. Uh, Tim gave an epic speech, just as we all knew he would. Uh, in fact, Doug, he dropped his reading glasses as he reached the podium. So he did the whole 18 minutes from memory. Uh, you know Tim, you've worked with him. Does that surprise you at all? Not at all. And I'm, I'm sure he practiced just in case for every possible scenario that could go wrong. So he's like, if I fall down the, the stairs, if I if I have a broken leg, he, I mean, he had every scenario covered and I'm I'm sure it was committed to memory. He's just, he's so brilliant and uh, very, very happy for him. It's a, 
he is like baseball. He's like our our, our time, and uh, he he did an outstanding job. Yeah, I wrote about Tim in the Athletic. You can look that up if you haven't read it. Uh, one thing I noticed talking to people about him, it just made everybody happy. Yeah, just to talk about that guy. He's just one of those people on the planet that everybody loves with good reason. Yep. Uh, also great to be there Sunday to watch David Ortiz, Jim Cott, Tony Oliva, um, Buck O'Neill, Gil Hodges, Minnie Mignoso, and Bud Fowler inducted. Whew, got all that out. And uh, Doug, in case you're wondering, my picture and my bio are still miraculously hanging there in that BBWAA section of the hall. So my wife and I went over to check it out on Monday on our way out of town. My wife had me pose for a photo with it, I guess just to prove that I'm still there. And so there's a random fan standing there watching this whole thing. So when we got finished, uh, he looked at me and he had a question for me. You know what it was? Let's see. You don't, do you? <laughs> no, how do you, how do you spell your first name? <laughs> no, no, no. This is what he asked me. Where could I find the Vin Scully plaque? <laughs> so, so that, that's the impact that I have on my adoring public. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let, let's move on here. I'm not sure if you've heard this, Doug, but the baseball trade deadline is just hours away. Um, we're recording this Monday afternoon, so we're going to drop it immediately so we don't have anything uh, happen in between taping and publication. Uh, also, as he did last year, this time, our resident GM at The Athletic, Jim Bowden, will join us. Yeah, so I had a thought, uh, Doug, did, did Jim ever try to sign or trade for you with the Reds or the Nationals that you recall? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, <laughs> listening to all the trade deadlines over the years, I as a sort of a reporter, analyst, slash uh, broadcaster, I, I don't. I realized how little I knew about what was happening. I know my agent kind of informed me a little bit, but I mean, the only rumors I remember hearing is I might go to Boston, John Valentin. I might go to, you know, I think it was right around like the expansion years, right? Kevin Stocker, I heard his name float around in Tampa. But um, I don't, you know, I don't recall much. And, and even when I got traded at the deadline in 03, from Texas to Chicago, I didn't. I didn't see that coming. I didn't hear much anything. I think it. I mean, I knew it was possible. I was like a free agent, and everybody. We were terrible, so I figured they were going young. But yeah, so teams like the Reds or the Nationals, where or the Expos or whatever, where Bowden is was. I you know I don't recall ever hearing their name. And um, although I know he had Jeff Shaw and I hit him pretty well, so that was kind of cool. So. so um, <laughs> Yeah, I just yeah. So I don't I don't know, but I'd love to hear it from him at some point. <laughs> I have to ask him. Uh, look, we have a lot to get to with Jim. We'll talk Juan Soto, Wilson Contreras, uh, pitching deals, lots more. But Doug, you know you're one of the biggest fans I know of Luis Castillo, who just got traded to the Mariners, and which I I would say was the biggest deal so far this month. Um, since you, you, you've seen this guy so much, you're such a big fan, maybe you can express what the Mariners are getting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the thing I think about Castillo is it's almost like there's another gear in there. You know, you, 
And that's, you know, that's someone who's actually had a successful career. He's had some tough Aprils at times, started slowly. But you're talking about someone that has, you know, a high 90s fastball still as a starter, has one of the best changeups in the game. And, and I think he just, you know, and he can survive off of two pitches if he needs to. He just has that kind of movement and life on his, on, on his pitches. So, you know, I the thing I'm interested to see is I'm wondering what Castillo kind of responds to just being like, now we're, you know, this is historic. The Mariners are trying to get in the postseason the first time. And I think they have the longest drought in sports, right, of not being in the postseason. So I see him as a guy that actually has another gear where he can he cannot be that sort of number two, one A guy. He could be the one. And I think of it as like a John Lester type, right? John Lester was always a great starter, but he, he was like, you know, if he can get, if he could be that World Series guy, there's going to be another John Lester. That's kind of how I see Castillo. I see another gear. And the Mariners, it's it's a great fit. It's a great move. They gave up a lot. <laughs> they gave a lot of their future. But that tells you how important it is for them to just get in the postseason to finally retire that issue. And 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 I was so impressed with Scott's service when I uh, we did the Padres Mariners earlier this year and how he's he's seen the game from everywhere. I mean, player development, scouting. You know, it's it's really encouraging that he took all these things away from it and learned how to work with personnel. And that's, you know, that's someone I played with that was always pretty serious. And, you know, I got to see the fun-loving social side of him where he's embracing people from all walks of life and learning how to navigate different talent levels. I think as a result, uh, he'll be really good with Castillo from the work he's done in the past. So I, I see I see a lot of good things from the Mariners. Yeah, well, the Mariners' take on him is obviously the same as yours because they paid such a big price. And I would say the industry was surprised mm-hmm. at how much they gave up. Uh, the two shortstops, obviously they both can't play shortstop, but Noel V. Marte and Edwin Arroyo are really highly regarded. Uh, I, I think this tells us something about the Mariners, though. Um, their time has arrived. Their window to win starts now. They've got really good young players. Uh, Ty France is very underappreciated. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez, Ooh. man, he might be Ronald Acuna Jr. 2.0. So th- they're going to, they have a schedule that lines up. They're going to be a tough out in October. I'm thinking about Castillo, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert in games one, two, yeah. three in a short series. Good luck. <laughs> And, hey, Doug, you know, you were really high on that sh- team in our, I think, our first show of the season looking ahead. Is this what you saw? I, I thought they would be players in this. I, it, they just had to get close. And they, you know, they had a little struggles early on, but they won on that winning streak and that run. And Julio Rodriguez, you know, was putting it all together. You know, I saw a lot of, you know, as Scott Service was talking to us in the Padres uh, series, he's saying, you know, I know we're winning a lot of close games. We might not outslug you all the time, but if we can kind of add to that pitching, you know, and I think this is the move because they've kind of accepted they're not necessarily going to put up ten runs a game. They don't have to though. They just know how they have to win the close one and sort of prevent the other team from scoring. And this is the piece, so it makes a whole lot of sense that they made this kind of move. And you know, yeah, they probably won't catch the Astros, but. You know, they're going to – I see them getting in, and I saw them getting in before this move. Look, I know these last couple of days should be action-packed. Even they're, even though they're not nearly as star-studded as last year's deadline. So 
You know what that means, Doug? We have a lot to talk about with our special guest. Hey, Doug, it's time to welcome in a man who loves the trade deadline more than anyone I've ever met. He writes for The Athletic. He hosts radio shows for SiriusXM. You can see him on TV on CBS Sports Network. As I always say, he's the only guy in America with more jobs in Glanville. It's our it's our friend Jim Bowden. Jim, welcome to Starkville. Great to have you back at at Starkville on Deadline Week. Ah, uh, Jason, Doug, great to be back with you guys. This is the annual appearance that I make here on your uh, great <laughs> podcast, and excited to be here. And got to tell you, I I can't tell you how excited I am about what's in front of us between now and Tuesday at six o'clock, because we may end up seeing the biggest trade in baseball history in terms of a return. This could be the Herschel Walker version in baseball. And it makes my heart pitter patter. Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, Juan Soto here in a second, but just this has been a really slow deadline. Um, As we're recording this Monday afternoon, I only count six significant deals this month. And like we're a little over 24 hours away from the deadline. Why do you think there's been so little action so far, Jim? Well, I, first of all, don't think the market is filled with impactful players that change the marketplace, right? So when you look yeah. at the starting pitching market, there's Luis Castillo for sure. You got Frankie Montas Jr. that's out there. Um, maybe Pablo Lopez, but maybe not Pablo Lopez. We don't yeah. know what the Giants are going to do with Carlos Rodon. But there's really not a lot of game-changing, um, you know, starting pitchers there. And then you look at the bats. Yes, you've got Juan Soto. You kind of have Otani, but probably not, right? you got Wilson Contreras, Josh Bell. But again, it's a small amount of players. So it's become a seller's market. And the first big trade that we saw happen, you know, the way I view it was the Luis Castillo trade to Seattle. And the Reds got an absolute haul. They got three of their top five prospects. And they got a couple of can't-miss middle infielders that are going to impact the game at some point. So when you have that kind of return early on, that sets the table for the sellers. So I think a lot of this strictly is supply and demand from my perspective. Now, the other thing that happens is the guys at the top stop the process for everybody else. You know, when you're playing on Juan Soto, and right now we have three teams that we know are in on him, Padres, Cardinals, and Dodgers, but that stops Wilson Contreras' market because the Padres arguably have the best package on the table for Contreras, but they're not going to do it because they'll need a player or two in that deal to get Soto. So until they find out if they're getting a Soto or not, they can't give the Cubs answer on Contreras, and the Cubs don't like the offers that they have on the table from Houston and the Mets as much as the one in San Diego. So, you know, you've got you've got chaos at the top. But look, at some point, the dam will break. And at some point, it's going to go crazy and fast. I'm just afraid it's going to be a couple hours away from the deadline rather than what we'd like to see, which is spread out over two days. Yeah, which that's what happened last year. Well, all right. We, we might as well just talk about the elephant in the room. We've been, I mean, we have been kicking around the Juan Soto stuff for, what, two weeks since Ken Rosenthal reported that he had turned down the $440 million extension from the Nationals. You've been all over this. What do you think the percentage chances are that Juan Soto gets traded by between now and the deadline? Oh, I'll be shocked if he's not traded, Jason. I mean, I, every intelligence that I'm getting out 
of the Washington Nationals front office is they're going to move the player here. Look, they know they can't extend them. Uh, his agent, Scott Boris, has been very clear that he's not going to sign an extension without knowing who the new owner is going to be. Um, and so with that in limbo, the direction that Mike Rizzo has been on is grinding this thing out. And he's narrowed it down to three teams um, as of yesterday. So they're, they're not going through this process to not move the player. He's going to move the player. So what we don't know is where is he going to go? And we don't know how much of these three GMs that are left are going to blink. And we don't know if there's a mystery team that's going to come out of nowhere and all of a sudden go boom, here's an offer to blow you away. So we've got plenty of time, but look, the nationals have, a, have the cards. They don't have to be in a hurry. But as I said, to answer your question specifically, I will be shocked if Juan Soto isn't wearing another uniform by Tuesday's games. Yeah. You know, you alluded to this uh, guys like Juan Soto never get traded. Uh, I was on MLB Network the other day. We looked at every player in the live ball era who had a 140 OPS plus or better through age 23. I think we found 16 names. The only one who got traded anywhere near Juan Soto's age was Miguel Cabrera. And he was two years older than Juan Soto is now. So I find this interesting. What's the template for what the Nationals should get back for a player like this, is it the Miggy deal? Is it the Herschel Walker deal? Um, don't forget I don't Von know that Hayes. You ever get enough? Don't forget Von Hayes, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, first of all, it better not be the Miguel Cabrera trade because Cameron Maybe and Andrew Miller is not enough for Juan Soto or right. Miguel Cabrera, and it can't be the Herschel Walker trade because baseball teams can't trade seven first-round picks or whatever the deal was. Um, and, and that deal will go down in history as the greatest and biggest sports deal ever. That won't ever be broken. Um, but I think what we can do is we can see the return for Castillo, who was the number one pitcher on the market with two more years of control. Uh, and it was three other top five prospects. Well, you have to beat that. And I think every time I've kind of looked at it from the Nationals lens, I have come up with the fact that if I were him, I would have to get five of your best prospects, maybe five of your top six or five of your top seven, depending on what you have, or a couple of major leaguers and your three top prospects. But it's going to be, for me, five players, all elite. I don't need throw-ins. I'm getting elite players that are going to play regular in the big league. So that, to me, what it is. So, for example, if I'm talking J.J. Preller in San Diego, I'm getting Robert Hassel III. I'm getting C.J. Abrams. I'm getting James Wood. I'm getting, I'm getting Adrian Morhan, okay? And then I'll figure out from there what I want after that. But I'm getting that, or you're not getting Juan Soto. Um, and I, when I talk to the Cardinals, now I'm going to ask for Jordan Walker. Now, he's the one guy on all three teams. He's the one guy that I'm not sure you trade in this. I think you got to do everything you can to hold on to him because he's got a chance to be an Aaron Judge caliber player, and you got six years of control of him. So he's the one guy that I would say St. Louis probably will be able to say, I'll talk anyone but him. But you're going to have to give up Dylan Carlson, uh, Nolan Gorman, who are both in the big leagues right now, probably Matthew Liberatore uh, to give them a middle rotation kind of starter. And then you're probably going to have to give me the shortstop Mason Wynn, who, by the way, in the Futures game, threw 102 miles an hour from the hole at shortstop. So that's the kind of level trade we're talking about. And I don't ever remember, at least in my lifetime, anybody getting those type of packages back for anyone. And by the way, no matter how much you give up, 
Whoever gets Soto is going to win the deal. Well, and, and Jim, I'm curious, do you see any scenario where the Nationals hold on to Soto or can hold on to him? I mean, what would it take for him to be that, okay, I'm going to be the franchise national player? Well, I mean, first of all, all it takes is Ted Lerner or Mark Lerner to wake up on the wrong side of the bed tomorrow morning, <laughs> change their mind. They've done it quite a bit. I mean, they did it with Bryce Harper when he was traded to Houston and they nixed that deal. Mike Rizzo had a deal with the Astros, with Jeff Luno. Deal was done, pending ownership approval. And owners decide last minute, no. The learners have a long history of shifting gears at the last minute and deciding to go the other way. So, sure, it's possible. I think in terms of Mike Rizzo doing his job, he's going to make a deal here, pending ownership's approval, and then we'll see what the owners do. Here's the part that's a little confusing to me, okay? You know, because everybody talks about the money and that part of it. So the learners have as much money as anybody, right? They can afford to do whatever they want to do. This isn't a money decision. They offered him uh, one sort of 440 million. He turned it down. They're also in the process of selling the team. So I want you to think this through with me for a minute. I keep hearing the team will be sold by the end of the calendar year. Correct. Okay. So if it's going to be sold by the end of the calendar year, you probably have a pretty good idea who's going to buy the team. Now, if you're selling the team, does your team have more value with one Soto on it? Or does it have more value if you trade them for four or five players? And if you're an incoming owner, do you want to be the guy that comes in and trades Juan Soto as your first move? Or do you want the previous owner to trade Juan Soto so you don't have to? I think all of those behind-the-scenes issues have not been talked about. They are not transparent, and we don't know the answer. But I would have a hard time believing that I would want to sell a franchise without Juan Soto in it. I think you have more value with Soto on the team, and I would let the new owner make the decision if he wants to give him a half a billion dollars or trade the player. But I can also see if I'm a new owner coming in and I've already made the decision if he turns down $440 million, I'm not going to offer any more. I can see him saying, why don't you move him before I get there so I'm not responsible. You know, I've been trying to think about this from A.J. Preller's standpoint, Jim. I, you, you mentioned him. Like, A.J. loves to make the biggest deal of the deadline, right? But the price is so high. Uh, I'm hearing he, even he's wondering if he's better off using these prospects to acquire multiple players. And that could be a lot of things, but Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ, David Robertson, some kind of package like that from the Cubs, for example. And... So I'm curious, when you were a GM, would you rather have traded for one transcendent star or fill a bunch of needs when you're in a position like AJ's in? Depends on what your team is and what your chances are of winning and what your window is of winning, right? Okay, so let's look at the Padres. They're not going to catch the Dodgers, but they can get as a wild card. And the wild card is not one game anymore. You get two out of three. So how can I, I'm going to get to the playoffs if I make a trade or not. When I get to the playoffs, what gives me a better chance of winning a World Series? Contreras and Robertson and all the other players you mentioned are Soto. It's clearly Soto. Let me tell you why. If you have Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Manny Machado in the middle of your lineup going into October, your chances of winning increase dramatically because those three hitters can hit the best pitching in baseball. You may have to get through the Mets to get to the World Series. That means Scherzer and DeGrom. You might have to get to the Brewers, through the Brewers to get to the World Series. That means Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. You might have to get through the Dodgers to get to the World Series. That means Clayton Kershaw and Tony Gonsolin and Julio Urias. So if I've got those three hitters 
and I've got pitching like you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove, I can beat you. I can get you in two out of three. I can get you in four out of seven because I got three hitters that literally can hit the best in the world. So my answer is really simple here. You go get Soto. And by the way, your window to win a World Series is really the next three years. And guess what? You get Juan Soto for three. Count it, three postseasons. I'll take my chances. Let's go. Yeah, and I mean, and they think about like you have Juan Soto. I mean, what is the possibility of, okay, I guess I want to go back to this. What is Juan Soto's real issue or his agent's issue with the Nationals? You know, they won a World Series a couple of years ago. You hear that conversation. Is it that they're just existentially out of it? Is it that, you know, I don't want to deal with the new owner? Often players are like, whatever, I, as long as I get paid, does it doesn't matter who's owning the team. So what what is the actual issue? Well, I, I, I can tell you clearly from my perspective, if I was representing Juan Soto, here's my response. $440 million is a joke. Mm. Jim Bowden wrote two years ago he'd get a half a billion dollars, and he won't be wrong. He never is wrong. <laughs> He'll get a half a billion dollars. Second of all, you're offering him 29 a year, and Correa gets 35, and Scherzer gets 40? What are you drinking? <laughs> so first of all, it's, it, it, your offer is not even close. Second of all, you have the worst team in the National League and you have no farm system and you have no pathway to win for six or seven years. And I don't want my client to be Mike Trout. I want my client to be on the biggest stage in the biggest moment so the world can sit there and enjoy him. I want him in L.A. I want him with the Yankees or I want him with the Dodgers or I want him with the Padres. I want him where he can win. And now, since I represent him and I live in Newport Beach, California, my preference would be Dodgers or Padres, right? <laughs> Because I like having my clients right there so I can bring other clients in to meet with them and see them after games and sit behind home plate. So I hope that, that answered your question. <laughs> Emphatically. <laughs> hey, Jim, uh, you were here last year this time. I'd love to do what we did with you then because it was great. Just throw names at you and you tell us what you think happens with these guys. Uh, let, let's, let's start with Shohei Otani. Yeah, he's not going to go anywhere. Now, Perry Manasian is doing his due diligence. But I want you to think about the inexperienced Perry Manasian, what he's going through. He went out and fired Joe Madden, who led the Cubs to a world championship. He hired Phil Nevin, who has since been suspended and ejected out of more games than any manager in baseball. And all the Angels have done is lose uh, since he got there. And now you're going to turn around and trade Shohei Otani for what? You're not going to get enough. And you probably won't be employed in November. It's going to be really hard for Perry Manasian to make a Shohei Otani deal. So I think he's going to listen. He's going to do his due diligence. And he'll tell Artie Moreno, the owner, he couldn't get enough. And they'll revisit the situation in the offseason. I think Shohei goes to nowhere. Yeah, totally with you hearing exactly the same. I just don't see how you can make a deal like that in midseason. Uh, Carlos Rodon, really interesting guy. What do you think happens with him and the Giants? Yeah, this, this was kind of confusing. So the Giants and the Red Sox a week ago told me they were buying, not selling. Both of them said, hey, we're three, four games out of the wild card. You know, we don't do that here in this in these markets. Okay. And then it kind of changed when Luis Castillo got traded because everybody in the industry looked and said, are you kidding me? They just got three of the top five prospects and all legitimate guys. 
And so Farhan Zaidi, who most of the time is the smartest guy in whatever room you're in, right? Whenever I walk in, in a room with Farhan, I know he's smarter probably than anyone in the entire room. Even if there's 10,000 people in the room, he's usually smart. He looks at it and goes, no, wait a minute. Rodon's going to opt out. He's represented by Scott Boris. We're not going to be able to re-sign him. We don't have a team that's going to win a World Series. As much as I don't want to sell, if I can get a return like Castillo, of course I've got to move the player. So he shifted gears and pivoted after that. So he's listening. I'm not convinced he's going to trade him because I'm not convinced he can get a Castillo package, to be be honest. But I think the New York Yankees will make an extremely aggressive uh, play for him. I, no, no doubt in my mind. Whether or not he's saying, just remember, Farhan, since he's been there, has said that he doesn't like to rebuild. He likes to always just add. He always wants to keep getting better. He said he's always going to try to win. And they are within striking distance. They are. They're a really hard team to read. And, and I, I think to some degree still uh, the Red Sox are. Um, even though I, they're listening, I, like, I still don't get the sense teams are confident in what they're going to do. So what do you think happens with J.D. Martinez and Nathan Evaldi? Yeah, so I've been in touch. I've been trying to stay in touch with all the GMs, as you know, Jason. And so the Red Sox, like the Giants a week ago, made it very clear, hey, we're looking for a bat. We want a first base bat or an outfield bat uh, or both, and we want middle relief help. Okay, this was last week. Now, it kind of changed over the weekend as they continued to lose. They kind of pivoted a little bit, and now they're buying and selling. And what does that mean? Um, that means that, you know, this is the last year of, of Martinez. Um, this is the last year of Vasquez or free agents. If they can trade them to get pieces that they think can help them continue to win this year, they will do that. In other words, if the Mets aren't able to get Wilson Contreras and Dave Robertson from the Cubs, they've been talking about a J.D. Martinez for Dominic Smith deal. You know, the Red Sox think if Dominic Smith played first base every day, he could hit 300 with 20, 25 home runs and play plus plus defense or maybe even gold glove defense at first base. And so they've kind of targeted him, but they kind of feel like J.D. is in such a decline that that kind of deal would make sense for them. Um, they haven't been able to acquire Vasquez, but they might be able to trade for another catcher if they trade Vasquez somewhere else. So they're kind of buying and selling at the same time. But the one thing we know as a fact, they have told teams they will not trade Bogarts. They will not trade Devers. Do not make us an offer. No doubt. Um, I mean, I'll hit you with one more and let, let Doug throw some names at you. Frankie Montas. Where does he go? Yeah, I mean, I think Yankees are Cardinals are the front runners right now on him. Again, I always tell people uh, in the media, we don't get access to medicals. I don't, we don't get to see the MRI of his shoulder. So I really don't know what kind of risk there is or what kind of return is going to be. Obviously, on the outside, everybody looks and goes, wow, look at Castillo. They're going to get, they're going to get a, a, you know, a bevy of prospects back. I don't know if you get the same return after you have a glib on, on the shoulder. Uh, Oakland has reminded me they don't have to trade him. They can hold on to him, trade him in the offseason. They feel like they've already had enough of a fire sale that they don't have to do more and that they'll trade Montas only if they get what they want for him, which definitely makes sense. I keep hearing Yankees and Cardinals are in the lead. Yeah, you know, every team I've asked, what's your level of confidence that Frankie Montas is healthy? They've all said none. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a rough place to be. Yeah, you got to see the medicals. I mean, I, I, as you know, I was a GM for 16 years, and you, you have to go over the medicals as much as you do the scouting reports and the analytics and, and the science on these things. You got to really know what's there. You know, in general, 
shoulders bother the crap out of GMs. You know, elbows, we can fix them. We can give you a TJ and 96% of the time now you're coming back. But a lot of times with the shoulder, you don't have the happy ending. So you really have to make sure that you, you dig deep. You got to make sure, make sure your orthopedic doctor is talking to his doctor, looking at the MRIs. And with that kind of guy, to be honest with you, I want to make the trade today because I want my doctor to put his hands on him tomorrow before I close the deal at six o'clock. Yeah, and speaking of, we, we talked a lot about buyer seller. What what sense can we make of what the Chicago Cubs are trying to do? I mean, a lot of these players seem to be coming from there, but what do you think their end game is? I mean, Jed, I think, is trying to rebuild the way they did it the last time. I'm not sure in 2022 that process is going to work. You know, I'm, I've been a little surprised that they didn't make more of an effort to sign Contreras, to be honest with you, because Wilson wanted to stay there. I think he's young. I think he's in his prime. I still think he's getting better. I mean, I think he really cares. Um, so I'm, I get confused a little bit. I understood Rizzo and Brian a little more than I, I did Contreras. But, um, you know, he's trying to rebuild in the trades that he's been asking. He, he's asking for big returns. I thought he did really well with the Mets last year with uh, Pete Armstrong Crow. I thought that was a, a solid deal. I thought he did well um, with the Nick Madrigal deal as well. Um, so he's, you know, he's Jed is and Carter Hawkins. They're grinding to get top prospects in their deals. Um, I, and I think they're doing a good job. I think where the Cubs have failed, and it's been a huge failure, is in seven years of drafting. They have not drafted well, and now they're paying a price. Uh, Jim, in, you have a great trade deadline primer in The Athletic right now. highly recommend people to read it for these names and, and others. I was a little surprised that you ranked Tyler Malley a little lower than where I get the sense many teams are. What's your feeling about what happens there and what the Reds can get back? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think one of the great things that I've always loved about baseball, what I loved about being a GM is sitting in a room and arguing about players <laughs> and ranking them, right? Because when you're a GM, you're constantly ranking players with your scouting department. And look, I've never been afraid to go against the grain. You know, one of the things that I was taught when I was 21 years old is have your own opinion, back it up, keep doing homeworks, uh, be flexible, adjust uh, admit when you're wrong, track your mistakes, and then and then try to improve from there. So, you know, I put my rankings, I, I do it for the athletic the same way I did as a GM. There it is. I'm giving it to you. I've done a lot of homework. I've done a lot of scouting. I've looked at the analytics uh, just like I would be if I was a GM. And that's how I see the rankings of players. And I'm fine with people that want to agree or disagree. I do like Mally, but I, I will say this. Um, I'm not scared of in, in an October game. And when I like to rank pitchers, I like to put pitchers ahead of him that I want to pitch in a playoff game when I have a World Series on the line. And so that's part of the reason why he's not there. I don't feel I can trust him. Game three of the playoffs, I'm down two games, then I have to win a game. He's on the bump. I, I don't feel the confidence I do in the guys above him on my rankings. Well said. All right, let me ask you one more. Josh Bell. You think he gets traded before Soto, or is Mike Rizzo prioritizing Soto first? I don't know. I don't. I don't see how they could be tied together. So I would think Bell would go first if I had to guess. I mean, I think the Houston Astros have always been a good fit. I know they're dealing with the sensitivity of Yuli Gurriel right now. I know Dusty Baker really loves Josh Bell, switch hitter with power, great teammate, great makeup guy, articulate, comes from a great family. Um, I, I think he would help Houston. I think he helps Tampa Bay a lot. 
I think he helped Boston a lot. I know all three teams have touched base uh, regarding Josh Bell, but I, I don't see the connection with Sotos, but I think whenever Mike Rizzo finds the deal he likes, I think he just pulls the trigger. No, I'm saying, well, I think, what do you think when we come out of this is going to be unique about this trade deadline? What, what do you think is going to be so special about it? Well, I think it's all about Juan Soto. I mean, I, I think the fact that you have a 23-year-old player in his prime, a player that I continue to compare with as a mixture of Hank Aaron and Ted Williams actually gets mm -hmm. moved. You know, it's one thing when I traded for Ken Griffey Jr., he was 29 years old. You know, I, I, I remember hearing the stories about Frank Robinson getting traded as he ended up winning MVPs, both the Reds and the Orioles. You just don't see this caliber player traded at 23 when all his best years are in front of him you just don't see that and to me i am shocked that there's only three teams left in the mix i don't understand how an owner or a gm can sit there and go to bed tonight knowing they weren't one of the final three a lot of times it's a reflection you haven't done a good enough job in your farm system and a lot of it is boy you don't know how to allocate money because you can always find a way for the next three years i don't care what market you're in to afford Juan Soto. He is a game changer on the field, off the field, as a teammate, with charity work, with everything. It's amazing it's down to three. Whoever gets them has won the trade deadline. Couldn't agree more. All right, Jim, I can't let you go without asking you about some memories that you have from when you were a GM at the deadline. Like there's a question that I love to ask GMs, former GMs, is there a deal that you made at the deadline that you wish you hadn't made? Or is the, there a deal that you said no to that's still bouncing around your head because you wish you'd have said yes? Well, I, I want I, I have so many of all those. <laughs> I, I tend to like to go to my favorite trade deadline, though. It was 1995. I had already traded for two starting pitchers in Mark Portugal and Dave Berber, as well as a gold glove caliber center fielder and Darren Lewis. Uh, in an eight-player trade with the San Francisco Giants, a deal that I made directly with the owner, Peter McGowan. But it was the trade I made a few days after that. Um, I, I, I knew that I had a team that could win the World Series, and I needed one more starting pitcher. And if I could get that, I knew, I knew, I knew where we could go. And there were three guys available, David Cohn, um, David Wells, and Jim Abbott. And I went down to talk to Marge Schott, the owner, and I told there were three guys out there. I said, David Cohn, though, was the most expensive. Back then, he was making $5.9 David Wells was making three, and Jim Abbott was making 2.3. And I said, Cohn's the best on the group, but I know we're over budget now anyway, and we can't afford that payroll. Uh, Abbott only has one arm. It's not going to work in the National League since we don't have the DH rule. And I think Wells would be the good compromise. And Marge Schott, who was as much of a penny pincher as anyone I've ever met in my life, including charging employees more than she paid for Dunkin' Donuts. She looked at me and she said, who's the best of the three? And I said, David Cohn. She said, go get him. And I ran down the hall and picked up the phone to call Pat Gillick. And they had just closed the deal with the Yankees. I ran all the way back. She gave me permission to, to close the David Wells deal. I went down, I traded CJ Nikowski and a player in later. I got David Wells and we made it to the NLCS before losing to the Braves. So that was by far my, my favorite trade deadline. My most, I guess the most difficult trade deadline deal I made is the one I made with Tommy Lasorda. So 
I had signed Jeff Shaw in the offseason, uh, and he had won the Roll Age Relief Award as the best reliever in the league. His agent was Joe Bick, and Jeff Shaw was willing to take a lot less money to stay with us. He wanted a no-trade clause. I told him, we don't give no-trade clauses to anyone. I can't give it. But I said, you have my word. I'm not going to trade the player. If he signs for this, I won't trade the player. I got to July, and, and the president of the team, John Allen, told me I had to trade Jeff Shaw to get the payroll down. I told him I'd give my word to Joe Bick that I wouldn't trade the player. And he said, I don't care what word you've given. It's not in the contract. You're moving the player. We need the money off the books. Either that or you're fired. So I sat there and did what I had to do. And it made me very uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't like it. But I ended up trading him to the Dodgers and Tommy Lasorda for a first baseman named Paul Canerco and a reliever named Dennis Reyes. I would later trade Paul Canerco for a center fielder named Mike Cameron. And I would later trade that center fielder, Mike Cameron, for Ken Griffey Jr. So a trade deadline deal I didn't want to make, which included <laughs> a relief pitcher, ended up becoming Ken Griffey Jr. So wow. a deal I didn't want to make worked out okay after all. <laughs> That's, cr- That's great. That's amazing. All right, Jim Bowden must read this time of year. And you know where you can read them? In The Athletic. Jim. Always great to have you here. Uh, one of our finest deadline traditions in Starkville, the Jim Bowden Show. Uh, enjoy these next couple of days, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Uh, okay, Doug, it may be the trade deadline, but the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, has issued an official decree that that's not enough of an excuse to allow us to dodge Another listener trivia question <laughs> this week. So we're going to humiliate ourselves again like we usually do. It's what we do best. Um, now, last week uh, with me in Cooperstown, uh, Doug tackled the trivia question solo. And that went about as well as you'd expect. Uh, Doug, are you still scared by that disastrous solo trivia flight that you went on? Well, yeah, Lawrence Taylor came on the blind side when I was deep in the, you know, in the pocket and that was a fumbled, you know, interception. Can you fumble and get an interception in the same play? No. Yeah, maybe. I'm willing no. But uh, I, I felt like uh, I was close in in my mind, and that that's in Starkville. That is legal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that that didn't count. That didn't help us help our horrible record at this. But uh, you know, for it, for various reasons, it feels like we haven't had one of these segments where both of us took part in. Of weeks, right? So maybe this will be a new beginning for us. Yes, yes, I feel I d- it. I, d- I doubt it. <laughs> All right, so why don't we welcome in this week's special trivia guest star? It's David Benjamin Firstman, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, David, welcome to Starkville. Thank you very much for having me. Love the podcast and I uh, really enjoy being here. Um, appreciate it. Uh, you yeah. should know. Uh, David Benjamin Firstman is the official name game guru of my weird and wild column and even wrote a fantastic book called The Hall of Name. So why don't you tell people about the book and where they can find it? Uh, Hall of Name is basically a whimsical biographical look at 100 of the most memorable names in baseball history. Not necessarily the best players, but the ones with the best names such as uh, Jack Glasscock, Biff Polkarova, Scipio uh, <laughs> Spinks, uh, and uh, I, I was very appreciative that Jason wrote the foreword to the book. 
and uh, you can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, and uh, your local uh, independent bookstores should be able to order it. Uh, Doug, this book is right up our alley. Uh, and also, no truth to the rumor that I once won the Scipio Sphinx Award. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. We've dodged this question long enough. Uh, uh, David, it's time for you to do what so many have done before. Crush us with, with your brilliant trivia question. What, what do you got for us this week? All right. So, as you may know, Justin Verlander currently leads the American League and the majors in wins with 14. He led the American League in wins in 2019 with 21, and he led the American League in losses in 2008 with 17. Name the two other active pitchers to either lead or tie for the lead in wins in their league in one season and lead or tie for the lead, lead in losses in another season. Okay. This is going to go well. Um, but So we need two other active pitchers who've led their league in both wins and losses in their career. Uh, so, Doug, here's what I think. Um, as I tried to analyze this in my own mind, it feels like there are two types of pitchers to look at. One is guys who pitch for teams that were great at one point and then really, really not great at another point. Uh, the other is guys who have had personal ups and downs in their career. So uh, first category, first team I thought of for some reason was the Cubs. <laughs> okay, so so Kyle Hendricks, maybe. Um, let's keep that name in play. Uh, I also thought about Dallas Keuchel, who I feel like was with the Astros when they were lousy and then was really good when they got really good. Uh, other category, pitchers who have had ups and downs. I, I thought of uh, three. Charlie Morton, poster boy for this stuff. You uh, Darvish came to mind, right? He was great with Texas. Went to the Cubs, not that great. Uh, then went on the San Diego has been really good for them. I, I was, he just he's had one of those careers. And then I had a name that sort of popped into my head. I don't even know where it came from, just because he was the probably the least likely twenty game winner among all active pitchers, and that's Ian Kennedy. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know which two I'd even pick out of that group. But it's a list that we can start thinking it through with. Uh, Doug, what are you thinking? Yeah, my, uh, unfortunately, my net was broad, and that's why it makes it even more impossible. Um, yeah, because yeah. well, I, well, I had another category of pitcher, and that was the, the guy that came up really young on a team that was kind of finding itself and then kind of grew into, you know, like, kind of like Verlander, that style, someone right. who came up early and we're like, whatever, he's got knocked around. And then all of a sudden it's like, he figures it out. Even if the team, you know, got better or not, or not, they were just, they were like Steve Carlton who won 27 games with the Phillies that year. Um, so that's, that's the other guy I thought of. Um, so that's where I thought of like a Zach Greinke or, you know, got knocked around Kansas city. They weren't necessarily that good. And then he, he was really good later in his career or like a Max Scherzer, right? He kind of wild cat threw it all over the place and then found his command and then became Max Scherzer. So those were kind of two guys I thought about. I mean, I, you know, it's clear that this guy has to be really good, like Cy Young level, 
20 game winners you know <clears throat> so you know that's why you know because to win obviously lead the league and, and wins the other thing i thought about was is there a sneaky thing to the 2020 season because you know whatever justin bieber won like eight games i mean justin bieber <laughs> yeah is that right what am i saying do it all the time <laughs> it's like, okay so 20 2020 is a little tricky so um i don't know that's that's where i'm kind of like worried that that could sneak up on us now i don't think bieber i don't think he you know lost 20 games uh and the last tidbit as the Starkville thought is there must have been a pitcher who might have been both, right? Led the league in wins and losses in the same year. Back in the day, like Necro, wasn't he like 22 and 20? That, 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 yeah, but we don't live in that world now. <laughs> no, I know. But that the was... reason, yeah, the reason nobody wins, we don't, the reason we don't care about wins anymore is because pitchers don't stay in the game long enough oh, yeah. to get wins, yeah. right? So that, I, like, and they're not, that's okay. So I, I, yeah. I'm going to dismiss that thought. All right. So what about um, like a I also, Lucas I, Giolito? I, you know, guys, you know, I, I don't think he was ever was bad he, enough, but that's another good Kershaw, one. Uh, Kershaw bad? No, Kershaw was, ne- he's never, never been bad. bad. He was, uh, and even Max, like his struggles were really, like what, just as a young pitcher in Arizona, but he wasn't, wouldn't have led the league in losses. What about like Wainwright Gr- when he came up? Did he get beat up? No, 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 right. no, no, no. And Grinky was in the bullpen early in his career. I don't think it's him. I, 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 to me, Charlie Morton feels like that's a good name. He he's one of them, and uh, I, I don't know Hendricks, Ian Kennedy. You like any of these? Dallas Keuchel was re- he was really bad. Yeah, Ke- Keuchel sounds good to me because did he win twenty? He, he had a good yeah yeah I, I, yeah. Keuchel does sound really good to me. Uh, and like Urias, Urias didn't have a lot of losses, right? Because he's been in the dog. No, no, no. Good. He, no, he's a winner. All he does is win. All right, so you want to go with Charlie Morton and Dallas Keuchel. Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> what, and, what could so, possibly well, go did, wrong? So, Hendricks, did he he lead the league in wins? Kyle Hendricks? I should know this, but I don't. Uh, I mean, he had, he had a good ERA. Great I don't think he... Right? I don't, okay, yeah, oh. you're right. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he stays in games is the thing. But I, I don't... I, I think you're right. I, like I don't feel good about this at all. Let's just answer. let's just answer. All right. I'm sure there's somebody obvious we haven't even mentioned. Yeah. Let, let, let's just find out. David, is there any chance that it's Charlie Morton and Dallas Keuchel? Well, uh, you're over two, unfortunately. <laughs> of course we are. Uh, neither neither of the pitchers won. Tw- 20 or lost 20 in the years in which they led the league. Uh, uh, that's the interesting. First, that's right. Lead the league. That's right. First, the first name is Corey Kluber. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? That's Corey Kluber really? led the American League in wins in 2014 and 17 with 18 each year. Nice. And, he, and he led the American League in losses in 2015 with 16. Wow, that's crazy! Don't remember Within that at one all. year, he swung top and then the bottom. Wow! <laughs> right. And all right, so we threw out names for ten minutes and didn't even mention him. What's the other one? <laughs> the other one is Miles Michaelis. Oh, oh my God. I actually looked at him. I was like, "Gosh, Miles Michaelis." <laughs> he, he, right, he tied for the league lead in wins in 2018 with 18, and then wow. he tied. He, in losses the very next year with 14. Wow, that's a good one. Oh, boy. Miles Doug, Michaelis. We, yeah. Doug, 
Doug, we, we stink. Yeah. This, can, can the mayor declare us an official disaster <laughs> area? Why do we even do this segment? I, really, we're just, we're, we're so bad it, at it's this. It's so the audience no, can win. It's so they, they're, they're, they're like listening along. They're like, I got it. And then they, they win. So it's, very, it's a <laughs> okay, selfless good. exercise. That, that's right. We're making you feel better about yourselves out there. But I, I, I don't even know how bad our record even is at this point. I, the mayor just looked it up. Let's, we, we should bring him in. Now, mayor, mayor Tim, how horrible have we been at this? <laughs> okay, guys, with today's defeat, the record since the start of the season is now 2-15. But for the good of things, we should remind people that through March 8th, so through the offseason, you were 8 for 11 before things turned. So there was a time. When the game's on the line, we, we come through. Yeah, so we're, we're playoff and the games Trade for us. When's I mean, the game on the line? People, you've got people through the lockout with your great trivia. And yes. now you're, you know. Now people so are in other words, overconfident. All right, so in other words, the game the game is on the line when they're not playing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's us. That sounds like us. Uh, all right, look, at least whether we get the questions right or wrong, the best part of this segment is the one constant in this show that has nothing to do with us. <laughs> it's the part where we don't do anything, but we bring in the mayor of Starkville, the great Tim McMaster, and he plays an epic play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. It's going to be challenging this week. Tim, what, what did you find on these two guys? I think I got a good one. We're going with uh, Kluber, and the reason I think it's a good one is it's from 2015 when he was leading the league in losses, but it's probably his best performance of that year. Uh, May 13th, 2015. Here you go. Know my wife's birthday. Corey Kluber. For the eighth time this year, he'll be towing the rubber looking for a win number one. And the 2-2. Swing and a miss. Kluber rearing back and just firing pellets by the Cardinal hitters. A new career high now for Kluber. Oh, yeah. Make it 17. Corey Kluber with his 17th strikeout of the night. Oh, my. 18 strikeouts for Corey Kluber. Blew it right by him. What a night for the Indians' right-hander. There you go. 18 strikeouts in May to get his first win of the worst season of his oh career. Oh, my gosh. Against the Cardinals. <laughs> what is happening? I I, That's amazing. I, I, Indians broadcasters very stoked by getting to describe that game. Uh, they're now the Guardians broadcasters, <laughs> yes. we should say. We, we're still wrestling with this, yes. <laughs> as Terry Francona explained to us a couple weeks ago. Anyway, David, what a great question Come back and visit us again sometime in Starkville, okay? Would love to. Thank you, guys. Strange but true. I know it's the trading deadline, but it's actually been a few weeks since we've done one of these strange but true segments, and we missed it. I know you missed it, so let's do it. What do you say, Doug? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, all right. So last Monday, Jonathan India of the Reds had himself a moment. Let's hear it. And he bashes that ball, destroys it to left. Upper deck, grand slam. India is locked in. An instant fan favorite as he took the city by storm a year ago. 
the uh, magic words there were Grand Slam, because <laughs> that was the first Grand Slam of Jonathan India's career. And Doug, as I watched that, I realized there is something clearly wrong with me because I I asked myself a question. I guarantee no one else in America asked. Do you know what it was? I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here goes. I wondered how many players have hit a grand slam who have the same name as a country. <laughs> so, Doug, does a normal person think stuff like this? Just checking. Well, Starkville, that person is completely normal walking around the streets. We invite, we invite them in. <laughs> All right, that's good to know. Um, all, right, all right, I asked myself that question. Then here is what I did. I went. I found myself, I went through the list of the 150 largest countries in the world. I sucked to this world, at least. And then I found players with the same names as those countries. Then, this was a three-step research project, I had to check for grand slams. And so just to make myself, make, make my life a little bit easier, I didn't do nicknames. I didn't do sound alikes, like no Chili Davis. Don't tell me about that. I checked Ty France, no slams for him. Oh, man. I checked, right? I checked Mark Portugal. He allowed some slams, never hit a slam. So I wound up with two. Are you ready? These are big. Uh, there's a guy named Dutch. Holland. All right. Dutch <laughs> Back Holland. Back in 1932, he hit one against Larry Benton. And then there was a guy named Germany Schaefer. <laughs> hit one back in 1908 against Ed Walsh. And amazingly, that was all I could find in the modern era. So then it's always fun to ask the readers if I missed any. And um, I, 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 there's a reader named Mike C., he also obviously needs help because he, he found a couple. Uh, Jordan is a country. I can't remember if it was in the 150 biggest, but Brian Jordan, yeah, Jordan Schaefer, Ricky Jordan, the Grand Slams, Ricky Jordan, the Grand Slams for all of them. Uh, Chad is a country. He found Chad Pinder, Chad oh, yeah. Tracy, Chad Kruder. So we have those two. Doug, you're a worldly guy. Do you have any countries you think I might have missed? Well, I mean, Kazakhstan is probably unlikely, so I, I don't think <laughs> no. that's going to work. Uh, well, no, I, I thought it'd be fun that. because I, my dad, being from Trinidad, there wasn't there a Trinidad? Well, it's Trinidad Hubbard, right? Uh, oh, so I don't think it was the same spelling though. Was it Trinidad? Trinidad versus Trinidad. Oh, it might have been an pretty e. close though. Yeah, his might have been an e in it. Yeah, that's right. He did. He did yeah, spell yeah, it yeah. Uh, So I thought about that, and uh, but yeah, I I, I can't. I mean, you know, I guess basketball is Jordan Canada and the women's game, and uh, but yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I think it's well, I I think it's fun to even think about who has a name of a country without without having to hit a grand slam. I'm sure that could be fun because uh, it's not likely when you get I, I, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, Argentina. I don't know if there's a lot of names for that. <laughs> no, I you know I was sure you were going to hit me with since you since you had. Fernando Valenzuela on the mind last week. Uh, oh, close. Fernando Valenzuela. Uh, he did hit a bunch of homers. He never hit a slam. He still wouldn't count because there's no country named <laughs> Valenzuela. We can make one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was sure you might try to hit me with Puerto Rico Bronia. Rico? That's, uh, that's Puerto it. Rico Cardi. There's 
bunch of Ricos and the Costa, uh, Costa Rica, Costa. Not not accepting the, any of those. Uh, Todd Hollinsworth. Ooh. Now that's the other <laughs> I, thing is Holland, <laughs> Holland is is it isn't it no longer a country? Isn't it the Netherlands? It's yes, so, it know. is the Netherlands. So, but I'm it, at, I, at the know, time, I guess it was Holland. Yeah, I guess that worked. Yeah, people know it is Holland. <laughs> like what, whatever. <laughs> uh, but no, like no Hollinsworths. I wouldn't allow any anything like that. I, I went so far down the rabbit hole. Now, what could be interesting? It was a, it was I, I, I always remember this in seventh or eighth grade, maybe seventh. Yeah, it was like history class, and we all had to come up with a game to teach history or teach social sciences. And I remember, I think his name was Jeff Ware. It wasn't Jeff Ware; it was his brother. But anyway, he came up with a project <laughs> where you had to list all the countries and what they were called in their own country. You know, because that is, you know, it's like we're, you know, we're Americanizing English, Anglicizing it or whatever. But, um, but you know, if you're in Germany, they don't call it Germany, right? They call it Deutschland or, you know, I'm just saying, I'm throwing it out there, right? So that, that to me opens up a whole can of worms here. Like, what do you call your country? I'm so glad I wasn't in on this conversation because then it would have taken me like five more hours to do this ridiculous research project. But I just want to tell people, this is the quality content you can only get in Starkville. Is that good? I don't even answer that. Starkville's a country. We need passports now. Yeah, there's no, there's no, no, hey, there's no Grand Slams by Glanville or Stark that I'm aware of. So I, this is true. <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the fantastic writing in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. $1, Doug. Mm, beautiful. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a fun listener trivia question. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove every single week there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So to do that, you could email us at starkville at theathletic.com or... Hit us up with those questions on Twitter. If someone were going to hit up Doug Glanville on Twitter, is that even possible? Yeah, as long as I'm not on a overnight red-eye flight, <laughs> I'm good. So that would be... They offer Wi-Fi on those flights, They do the have Wi-Fi, that's true. I did use it on the way out. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, pretty easy. My name, at Doug Glanville, at D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's it. The highlight of every show, when Doug Glanville spells his name correctly... <laughs> Uh, and you can tweet at me at Jason St. That's Jason with a Y, S T. Please remember to hashtag the questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jim Bowden for joining us. Thanks to David Benjamin Firstman for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McVaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tuesday, we've got something special. It's a live streaming uh, trade deadline extravaganza. Starts at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Got it? Then Doug and I will see you next Tuesday back in our regular day and time 
Oh, I'm Stark Bill. Bill.